is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 202 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to not one, but two special guests, Megan Haskell and Greta Boris, and we are talking all about how to plan a novel and your series. But first to last week's question, which was, what's the last book that blew you away? So JJ Arias said, this is how you lose the time war. I don't know what I was expecting, but I absolutely loved it. I read that book and really enjoyed it as well. Uh, Not my usual cup of tea, but I did really, really love it. Skylar says, when I heard your question of the week, I just had to respond with a fantasy slash dystopian romance that's haunted me since I finished it weeks ago. This is one of the most massive book hangovers I've ever had. And the book is called In the Land of the Beautiful Dead by R. Lee Smith. It's about a woman who becomes a concubine of the King of the Dead in an attempt to save humanity. It's a juicy love story, but also made me contemplate death, eternity, and free will. It's a masterpiece. Ooh, that sounds like something I would enjoy. I might have to go and have a look at that. And then Judith Judith Mortimer said, book that blew me away, Victoria Goddard's The Hand of the Emperor. I think it broke every rule, but it fascinated me so much. I went and read everything else she's published, which is unusual for me. Her world is amazingly rich and complex, and there are so many mysteries that slowly unfold. I loved it. I love these uh, suggestions. This week's question is, tell me the last thing you did for pure joy. So the book recommendation of the week this week is You Are a Badass at Making Money by Jen Sincero. So this was the first book I read on my uh, holiday and I loved it. It was short, it was sweet, it uh, was quite woo-woo, I would say. Uh, I am now looking at reading some more, some less woo-woo, more sort of practical, tangible money books, but I really enjoyed it. I do love a bit of woo-woo every so often. Uh, So yeah, I really recommend that. You Are a Badass at Making Money by Jen. Sincero. Okay, so in personal news and updates, I think you can tell by my voice and tone that I am very definitely back from the brink of exhaustion. What I will say is that it was a bit of a disaster trip, but just, and I'm not going to go into it, but despite that, um, it, it was everything that I needed. I more or less lay in a very silent, very still position for the first week. I to be honest, barely spoke to anybody. And I just had my uh, face planted in a book, which is not exactly the healthiest of holidays or the healthiest of ways to be. But I think it was very needed. And it really did bring me back from the brink of exhaustion. Uh, I have learnt my lesson, (laughs) probably, uh, that even so, I'm not going to not push as hard as I always do. But in order to push as hard as I do, I need to recognise that I need to rest as hard as I need. So I don't know what that looks like. And obviously, I'm in a bit of a transition point at the moment as I transition out of the freelance over the next two months so that I... uh, yeah, um, all my time then becomes my own. So it's sort of difficult to project or understand exactly what my time is going to look like. So the next two months are going to be weird as I try and find that new normal. But I think that I have definitely learnt my lesson and I never, ever, ever want to be as exhausted as I was before I went away. I think it was a dangerous position to be in. And I don't think I really even intentionally did it. I don't even 
think that I realised I was... I mean, I did... Towards the end, I kind of realised how bad it was, which is why I stopped before we went. But, uh, yeah. So, anyway, point being, learnt my lesson, and now I have to figure out how much rest I need in order to carry on finishing as hard as I want. <laughs> oh, I'm never going to change, okay? This is one thing you can be sure of. I will never change. But I am willing to negotiate and compromise. So if I want to continue pushing as hard as I want to, I have to, you know, negotiate how much rest that requires, which I will get down to a fine scientific art of the exact amount of minutes I need to rest in order to continue burning. So maybe you think I haven't learned my lesson. I don't really know. But uh, yeah, I'm going to try and rest as efficiently as I can. Okay, so going forward, today is Thursday the 3rd of August and between uh, today and the rest of this week up until Sunday, I am getting my feet back under the table. Today is back-to-back podcast recording and I've got some meetings and by the end of Sunday, I will have a new to-do list fresh for the summer and I will have gone over my outline, my new outline for book three which I will be picking back up on Monday. So the two projects that I'm going to focus on, well, I suppose three, really. The three things that I'm going to focus on this next week are, one, working on the first course that I'm going to be producing, the non-fiction writing craft course that I'm going to be producing this summer. Two is uh, working on making sure the outline is pinned down and I'm ready to redraft or re-go uh, on Monday. And the third one is getting my feet back under the table with my monstrous inbox, you know, creating to-do lists and, and getting ready to crack on. So I'm not going going to talk much more I don't think today uh, nice and simple intro uh, ease my feet back under the table as I come back to work which brings me nicely on to the rebel of the week the who is RV Bowman so RV says I really enjoy your podcast and I've learned a lot from listening thank you so much uh, I wanted to share my rebel author story with you I wrote my first book Hook's Daughter a middle grade fantasy adventure and since it was my first book I wanted some feedback on the story as a whole I couldn't afford a, a developmental editor so I got an editorial review overview I was looking for whether I had plot holes whether my characters work and if the ending worked stuff like that the editor's feedback didn't really include that instead she told me that the story was too gruesome for middle grade girls and none of them were going to want to read about some Edwardian girl who had sword fights with Peter Pan. Instead she su suggested I make it much sweeter and Disney-like. I responded to her by thanking her for her feedback but reiterating that wasn't what I was looking for. She said she couldn't help me until I had drastically changed my story because it just wasn't going to work as it was. What the fuck? After reading through everything she sent me I decided to completely ignore her because a cutesy Disney-like story wasn't what I wanted to tell. I went on to write a trilogy, The Pirate Princess Chronicles, and those books have made me, oh my God, well over $75,000 in sales and were just optioned for the screen. Holy shit! More than that, I've had emails and letters from young readers who love the stories and even a few for whom the books turned them onto reading in general. I know it's petty of me, but I've always wanted to email that editor back and let her know that I've obviously found some girls who want to read about sword fights. Holy shit, this is amazing. That is completely fucking incredible. And can I just say that I would have been the middle grade reading girl who would have absolutely loved that. So 
Also, though, how fucking irresponsible of that editor, one, not to deliver what they said they were going to deliver, and two, to tell you that you have to completely change your story. What the fuck? That's like marketing advice. You shouldn't be getting like, oh, oh my God. Anyway, that's completely irresponsible. You, I just, I can't understand. I, I'm going to go off on a rant, so I'm going to bring myself back. Can't believe that. Love that you um, just didn't listen, though, and that you found success anyway. So thank you so much for that story. We are incredibly low on stories. So please, if you have a Rebel of the Week, we really, really, really need them. We are down to our last couple of stories. So if you would like to be a Rebel of the Week, please, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, or something in between. Doesn't even have to be your rebellion. It could be a Nana rebellion, a mum rebellion, a, a granddad rebellion. It can be any kind of rebellion. Email your story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. A huge welcome and thank you to Shelley Jarvis, Lauren Woods, and our singing Bones, who are new patrons. And of course, a gigantic thank you to all of my existing patrons. If you'd like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. That's enough from me this week. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today we have not one, but two special guests. Today I'm joined by Greta Boris and Megan Haskell. Greta is the USA Today best-selling mystery thriller author of the Seven Deadly Murder series and the Mortician Murders. Megan is the award-winning fantasy author of the Senare Chronicles and the Rise of Lilith, Lilith series. Together, they co-founded the Author Wheel, a company dedicated to helping writers overcome their obstacles and keeping their stories rolling. With over 25 years of combined writing and publishing experience, they've made the mistakes so that you don't have to. Hello and welcome. Hi, Sasha. Thank you for having us. Very excited to be here. Oh, you're most welcome. I'm glad to have you here. We had a lovely chat on your podcast, so I was excited to get you guys back. Uh, So before we dive into the questions, would you like to tell everyone a little bit about each of your journeys? Like 25 years of publishing experiences is a shitload. So like talk me through (laughs) maybe like a high level kind of summary of what happened. (laughs) Sure. I'll I'll go first. Um, So I actually was not, I was always a voracious reader, but I was not a writer until I needed a creative outlet from my very like left brain number crunching career. Um, So I had a train commute at the time and I started writing little stories on the train and I caught the bug. Um, And so, you know, slowly but surely I tried my hand at a novel. It was terrible. Um, I think as all first novels are, and actually it took me like four or five, six, seven, 12 tries to actually finish that first or any novel. Um, I had so many starts that, that never went anywhere. Um, but then I got pregnant and I decided that, uh, I did not want to have that long train commute. I did not want to be away from my babies. Um, I wanted to stay at home and raise them. So I quit my job. And of course, quitting your job to raise kids means that your imagination fires up. I don't know what it is. There's something about it. So I got the idea for the character Rie, who is uh, the protagonist in the Signore Chronicles. When my 
first daughter was three months old. And I published that book when uh, my second daughter was three weeks from being born. Um, <laughs> so it's, I mark time by my children. Um, and so that was published in 2015. And it's just stuck with me since then. I decided I didn't want to go back. The original had pl plan had been to be to go back once the kids were in school. But I decided to just go for it and make this my career and keep on doing what I'm doing. And here I am. Amazing. And Greta, what about, what about you? So I was raised by a um, editor and a publisher in New York City, the home of, you know, in, in, in the U.S. anyway, of uh, traditional publishing. And although my dad was primarily focused on magazines, he also did do some editing for uh, nonfiction. So I was kind of raised with this whole idea that there was only certain special elite people who got to write books. You know, it was just this, I didn't even know how you became one of them. I thought you maybe had to be born with it or something, you know, <laughs> I, was, I don't know. I did. I was, uh, my first major was literature that I skipped around in my college career, which is a whole different thing. Um, anyway, so I did work for magazines for a while, mostly in the marketing department. And then when I was doing the kid thing, um, I got into health and fitness and uh, became a, well, it doesn't matter, trying to fast forward. So fast forwarding, um, I had all these clients, I was doing health and wellness, and they kept throwing papers at them. And they said, this is ridiculous, you should write a book. And somebody had just told me about independent publishing. And I thought, that's a thing? I like that. I didn't know that was a thing. So I wrote my first book, it was a health and wellness book called The Wine and Chocolate Workout. <laughs> It actually did really good. It got um, in the top 100 on Kindle, um, but it terrified me because I like started getting some reviews and stuff. And I was like, what the heck? Nobody's supposed to read this, but the people I handed to anyway, I, I stopped. And But I did get bit by the writing bug. I wrote for magazines, but I thought I had to have a traditional publisher to be a real author. So I did that and that my seven deadly sins murder series is traditionally published, but hanging around the industry long enough and hanging around with very professional people like Megan, I started to realize, oh, maybe I could, why couldn't I do this? So now I also started my own little imprint for my books and, and I have another series that I do myself under cryptic press. So that's my, that's my journey in a nutshell. Amazing. So it's a lot of books written and that is why we are going to talk about how to plan a novel. So let's maybe start with like a high level overview. Like how do you guys approach writing a novel? Well, I, I think it starts with kind of having the, having the idea, right? You have to start with the story seed. For me, that's typically character. So I usually like with with the Senyari Chronicles, I had the image of the character in my head. I had no idea who she was or where she was or what her world looked like or anything. But I just had this image of of this character. She was this kick ass protagonist. She she was could fight with knives. 
Um, she had secret abilities. Uh, you know, I kind of so like, I, I, like you, Megan, right? I just well, thought I'd throw I, that in. Yeah. I don't fight with knives. I wish I did. <laughs> That's not what Adam says. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, I did take I did take martial arts for a little while. Um, but it, she kind of was the the kick ass version of myself that I wished I could be kind of. Um, so anyway, so I started there. So you have to start with this story seed, this idea. Um, and then for me, it's all about the what ifs and the whys. What if she was a changeling human who'd been raised by elves? Why would they have taken her in the first place? What would happen? How would she be treated? All these questions. And that slowly fills out um, the idea for the story until I have enough substance to actually have a plot. So plot for me comes last, always last, but everything else around it is what generates the story and how I plan it. So I was thinking about this question and because I write mystery thriller, I realized that often I start with the crime and it's like, I'll read about a crime uh, true crime is so bizarre. I, I, I like it's so much more bizarre than anything that most fiction writers come up with. And sometimes way too gritty. I don't go down that super gritty path. You know, life is depressing enough. Um, so uh, but often for me, it's the crime or it's some bizarro thing that I hear about. Um, like one day my husband gave me an article about anchorites and anchorites were men and women who used to, back in the Middle Ages, they'd wall themselves up on the outside of cathedrals in Europe, and they would kind of enter this little walled-in place, and they would stay there for the rest of their life. And it became their grave when they died. They'd, it, it was a way to die to the world and live for Christ. And this whole thing, and I was like, that is so bizarre. So I had to put that in a novel. So in my Seven Deadly Sins series, I have a character who decides to write about them and walls herself up at the San Juan Capistrano mission, which is a historic California mission near us. Um, the mission people told me she couldn't do it. And I said, I know, but it's fiction. But they were a little upset with me. But I did it anyway <laughs> in the fiction world. But so sometimes it's just some random idea that'll take hold of my brain. So that for me, I agree with Megan. It starts with some kind of seed that you then what if out. I love it. One of the things that I am really bad at is giving myself the permission and the time to kind of fill my creative well. Um, mm -hmm. And I stumble like on it all the time. I literally had to stop today uh, drafting because like there were just holes in my brain, like just these black voids of nothing. And I was like, why can't I figure out? Like, this is yeah. novel. <laughs> and then you know what well, this happened yesterday and then so uh, like I took today off and I watched um uh, like a a trope relevant movie last night then another this morning then I started another one this afternoon and lo and fucking behold 10 ideas come to me on the school run mm. and I'm like ah it's just so annoying so like talk to me about kind of the like the prep before the prep right like how yeah. do you fill that creative well in order to help yourself brainstorm at a later point I think it's consuming content and consuming content widely. Um, so not just 
within your genre, although that is incredibly important, but also the news, you know, watching TV shows that are completely, you know, irrelevant to what you write, but can cause, can, can, you know, instill ideas. So like my latest series, um, the rise of Lilith series, it started because my husband and I were watching YouTube and somehow along the way, we came across this video that was talking about biblical history and, um, and, and Judic, uh, Jewish mysticism and the story of Lilith and that Lilith was really the first woman. And I was like, no, 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 no. Lilith is the queen of demons. Like this is, she's like the queen of witches. Like this is what, what that story is. But no, lo and behold, like, it was like, no, she's transformed over the years. How does this work? And so that one little video, which was probably 10 minutes long, like it was not, it was not a full documentary or anything like that. Um, but it, got me thinking. And so it's being open to those other influences and being willing to explore new ideas and twist them and create them into your own stories and bring all of that together. And then it is, it's giving yourself the time and the space and the grace to let your subconscious work and just let those connections flow. Um, it's, you know, I think in today's society and in the indie publishing world in particular, you know, everything is like faster, 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 more, more, and more, keep pushing more, more books out there and more writing. Um, and full disclosure, I am not a fast writer. So for me, I am really always like, how can I write faster? Please help me write faster. But, but it's giving that space for story to unfold so that you can actually create something new. Um, it's it, it. Yeah. That's, that's my, that's my answers. Just keep your mind open as much as you possibly can. I think you can go after things purposefully too. Um, Cause that was sort of like a random, you just like me with the anchorites or you, you just kind of randomly bumped into this YouTube video, but um, when with my second series, um, the mortician series, she, uh, that main character, she begins life as a hairstylist, um, who gets the, a request to do the hair and makeup of one of her deceased clients. And then she has to, she goes to the mortuary and discovers when she touches the hair of the dearly departed, she gets their final sensations in life. But she came because my daughter sent me, um, a, a YouTube video it's a, a YouTube show called Ask a Mortician, and it's a real person, Caitlin Dowdy, and she is hysterical. She's a real um, mortician, but she's I've read very books. Yeah, the smoke gets in your eyes. The mm -hmm. best title in mm -hmm. the world. So she's the she's the inspiration for. Um, my main character in the, um, in the mortician series. So sometimes like when I'm planning next book in the series or trying to think ahead or even thinking through the plot, we're going to talk a little more. I saw in your questions about series writing later, but like the arc of a series, like where I want to go with that series. I've watched a ton of Caitlin Dowdy and got her ideas about, you know, where she talks about, um, different cultures, burial, uh, you know, traditions and things like that. So I was like, oh, you know, I could do something with like Vikings and make a Viking cult up or, you know, it just, 
it just stimulates. So I'll actually go after if I need more ideas. Um, if there's a certain thing that, you know, feeds your, your story brain for certain series. And, uh, when I'm dry, I go watch Caitlin Dowdy. She always gives me an idea. I love that. I, I kind of, I suppose I break my, um, input learner stuff into different things. So like I do intentionally read in my genre because I want to be up on the marketing. I want to understand what is selling, what is working in the genre. But then I also consume outside of my genre for more like that kind of stuff that you were saying about sparking those things, getting those connections, like taking things that work in different places and putting them into your genre. And then I do a lot of that, like I'm quite visual. So I really enjoy like coffee table books. I don't, if you know, you know, like they're huge, they're like, Mm. you know, expensive, but they have lots of like visual pictures and stuff in them, not necessarily high content, but it's, and actually I very rarely read anything in them. I just look at the pictures like for the inspiration, but yeah, like I love that. And, you know, sometimes I'll like my wife loves a documentary. So like sometimes I'll stumble in partway through and then like, I'll just catch like the odd sentence or like the odd thing. And I'll be like, oh, really? And then, you know, like that goes in a note file as I put my headphones in and start reading a book. But, you know, it's like that kind of, I love that kind of serendipitous, oh, that random fact. Um, uh, yeah, so, so I love that. Okay, let's let's start at the beginning. Like, how do you brainstorm? And like, I will admit, I actually find brainstorming really quite difficult. Um, I think part of that is because I'm an external thinker. So like, I love to bounce ideas off of other people. And because I work for myself and, you know, I'm at home alone all the time, I can't really do that. So I'm not one of these people that can ever mind map. Mind maps like drive me nuts. Like I have to have everything in a linear line. Um, But uh, yeah, like, like we've talked about, I kind of input and then sort of try to start there and then, you know, work with a story structure. So, but like, what tips do you have for people like me, like for writers who do struggle, like with the brainstorming, like where do they start? How do we do it effectively? So, uh, we, number one on my list, I put together a list of like tools was mind mapping. So don't do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, but there are a lot of different ways to stimulate your brain. And it, it does very much depend on who you are and how you work, how your brain works and the kind of style that you have. Um, so for someone who's more linear, um, like what you're talking about, one of the things that we like to suggest is um, what's what we call a brain dump. So if you start with visualizing a scene, which is typically, um, you know, a good place to start. So if you have a scene in your head or you have your characters in a room, you know, at least a little bit of something, close your eyes and just visualize the scene like it's a movie and then write down, don't use any sort of, you know, sentence structure, punctuation, none of that matters. Just start typing all of the senses. Um, So what are you smelling? What are you seeing? What are the colors? What do you notice? What does your character notice? What can she see? Where is she positioned in the room? Um, What is she feeling? Is it cold? Is it hot? Is it, can she taste anything? Like go through all of that and then just keep writing for as long as you can. And if you can type with your eyes closed, that's honestly the best. Um, because then what will happen is you'll start to create a, a framework that you can continue to grow and build on until you're, you have a bigger scene, you have more of the story, you know, where she's going or he, or what they're doing. Um, 
And so that can be a really good place to start for someone who is a little bit more um, linear. Um, And then lists also work. Just start a list and write, keep writing ideas down. So like if you're in the pre-stage before you have any idea at all, you don't even have a character, you don't have anything, you like maybe have one little nugget of an idea, but it's nothing, it's not big enough for a story yet. Just start writing ideas, keep going as long as you possibly can. And when you think you need to stop, set a timer and do five more minutes because those last five minutes are gonna be when you make the best connections for your ideas. I took um, the uh, one of those master classes. Um, I'm trying to remember. It was a super famous writer, obviously. It was one of the master classes, but I'm trying to remember who it was. Anyway, um, and whoever it was said that, um, I, like, give yourself options. So if you have like a bit of a nugget of a story idea and you're trying to flesh out the story in your mind, where it should go to do kind of what Megan said, put down maybe five different ideas um, of things that could potentially happen. And then look at those five things and say, well, if this one happened, where would the story go? And if the second one, oh, it was James Patterson. I told you it was somebody famous. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, just some little guy, James Patterson. Um, but if, uh, yeah, and then if this thing happened, where would the story go? And and sort of just the logical conclusion, and then it can kind of help you pick a good, maybe a better starting point. And then one more thing I was going to say, because I am very much an external processor like you are, Sasha. Um, I have a couple of writer friends and I mean, I have a lot more than a couple, but I have a couple that I walk with on a pretty regular basis. Like we'll walk six miles, five, six miles. And, you know, and we'll just have days where it's just like, Hey, I'm starting to brainstorm a novel. Can I talk through plot with you? And uh, they love it. It's so much fun. And they do it with me too. And then when they write their book, I always feel like I'm kind of like, I'm in that book because that was my idea in chapter seven, you know, or whatever, you know, so... I would absolutely love that. Like, it kills me that there are no, like, writers around me or no no people. Like, I would absolutely love that. I, and my, unfortunately for me, my kind of writing work wife lives the other side of the world. So um, it's very difficult for, like, we do do that. And funny enough, I, I texted her today and I was like, I am never writing a book without talking it through with you before I start ever again. marks it right up this time um but anyway the the point is is that I would love that it's really interesting because like it's such a uh a kind of I don't know what's the word maybe I'm I don't know anyway it's it's like an opposite thing because I process externally but very much introverted so I'm like the thought of trying to find a writer locally I'm like "Hmm?" (laughs) yeah (laughs) so I just learned a new thing recently like within the last couple months have you ever heard the term rubber ducking no okay no so this is apparently very common in software development um somebody came up with it at some point i can't tell you who or when or why but twice in the last two months this this has come up for me um but basically the concept is that when you need that when you need that external processing someone to talk to but you don't have someone to talk to um use a rubber duck or a stuffed animal or anything right but literally you put it on your desk 
and you just start talking to it. <laughs> Only a software developer. He never told me this before. <laughs> Actually, feel like you should just get in the bath with it and get bubbles and just. There you go. That'd be yeah. even more fun. That would be even more fun. Although yeah. mess, messy if you're trying to write. But regardless, um, so when, if you don't have that actual person to just bounce ideas off of, sometimes just talking it out to an inanimate object of some or your kind dog, can dog work. or cat, dog, dog or cat, cat pet. Yeah. yeah, I read dialogue to my dog all the time and she loves it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love this. Um, okay, let's talk about world building. Like what tools and tips and techniques do you use to um, create like your new world? How do you, because the interesting thing for me is when I finish this book after I finished unfucking it, um, the the next book I write is the first book in a new series. So at the moment, mm. I'm kind of intellecting on like what that world is going to look like or like how does it connect to the world I'm currently writing? Um, and so, yeah, like I think, the danger that I have is that with my first book, I went like, I just basically world built for like eight months and didn't write. So like, you know, one, how do you do it? And two, like, when do you know that you've got enough to start writing? Like, what is that tipping point? Okay. So I write fantasy. Um, So obviously world building is, I mean, you know, this too, like it's so integral into the entire process. It's, it's a lot of, you know, I think like contemporary writers feel like they don't need to actually world build because it's set in a real place or something. But anyway, um, so I have to give a shout out. Uh, there's my friend Matt writes under MD Presley, wrote a book. Um, it's world building for fantasy fans and authors. And it is the textbook on world building for fantasy fans and authors. I mean, there you go. Right. The title is very descriptive. Um, say say again, MD Presley, MD Presley. Um, and it's world building for fantasy fans and authors. And he has a YouTube channel as well. Uh, forging fantasy realms, I think is what it is. Um, but I learned so much like, like on the technical side of world building, like how to the different kinds of magic systems. Like I just thought magic's magic, right? But like, no, there's actually different kinds of magic systems. And depending on what kind of book you're writing and the genre and so forth within fantasy, like how much development do you have to do into that magic system? Um, so definitely go check that out. Um, but I think for me, you know, it's, it goes back to the what ifs and the whys and the hows. If I can answer those questions and I feel like the world feels real when I get to that point, that's when, and the character feels real. That's when I'm ready to start plotting or structure or start writing. Um, and I'm not a, I'm not really a plotter. I'm more of a discovery writer. So I have a tendency to jump ahead before <laughs> arguably too soon, <laughs> but, um, but I think once you have that sense of like, this could be a real place. Yes, there's magic. Yes, there's things that defy the laws of physics, but it could be, be real. Like you feel that in your bones. Like I could I could walk through that street. I could know that place. I could be there, see that character, do that thing. That's when I know I'm ready to start the story. Um, so, you know, there you can talk about all the details as far as like, you get inspired by 
um, what Matt calls analog cultures. So like you could say, well, I'm going to take, you know, the classic one is medieval Europe. That's your analog culture for a lot of fantasy. Um, but maybe you want to change it up. Maybe you want to take, you know, Polynesian, um, you know, early Polynesian as your analog culture. Um, or, you know, maybe you do, you know, samurai Japan, right? You can have these analog cultures. And so you use those for inspiration to come up with the society, the culture, the context that you're um, going to actually use for your story. But you have to consider everything. You have to consider culture. You have to consider setting, geography, um, technology, uh, science. Is there, you know, what what laws of physics do exist in your world, even if magic is real or how does the magic system work in fantasy? Does it, you know, have hard and fast rules? Is it more by willpower and feel like, how do you want to set that up? Because all of those things are going to have to stay consistent throughout your book and then throughout the series as well. Um, so there, there is a certain aspect of you have to do enough but you don't want to get stuck like you were talking about for six or eight or 12 months. You want to be able to start writing. So you do enough to feel real and then go for it and then fill in the blanks as you go. At least that's how I do it. Oh, as for non-fantasy writers who do write in, you know, a contemporary real world, you still have to do some world building. You still have to think about things because um, for instance, how much of what's happening in our culture do you actually want to put in the book? Because that can date your book. So if you have too, you know, too much technology, then 10 years from now, your book is totally dated. So you have to be, you have to make those kind of kind of decisions. Also like how much of current uh, pop culture or, or cult politics or whatever is happening. Like <clears throat> a lot of people had to think about that during COVID. Like, do you want COVID in your book? because a lot of people didn't want to read about COVID when they were going through COVID. I did end up using an, a pandemic, but I, I didn't call it COVID. I don't know. Everybody knew what it was, but I needed it because I, I, I needed to make a prison break. And it actually was really worked out well for me because they were dumping out the federal penitentiaries in, in real life because of COVID. And so uh, I had a guy who was in a federal penitentiary in my first book, and I could not figure out how I was going to get him out to commit crimes in the last book in the series. And then we had a pandemic and it was like, woohoo, I can get him out. I just, I'm sorry about the pandemic. I, I didn't mean woohoo, we had a pandemic, but you know what I'm saying. Anyway, so you, so you can use things, but you got to think about it. And then the other thing for especially mystery thriller writers, if you are setting things in a real city, a real town, think about where you're killing people. Because if you're putting a dead body in a real restaurant, that restaurateur may not appreciate it. So I will make up like a, a, a business that doesn't really exist and put it on a potentially real street. Uh, one of my books, I actually created where because it was going to go through a couple of books, a a street that didn't exist in a neighborhood that does because I knew I was going to have a lot of crime happening and I didn't want to, I didn't want to set crimes in people's backyards. You know, they might not like me. So, so those are just kind of, those are some things to think about too. We do have a, um, a checklist, a world building checklist that 
we were going to put on a special page just for your people, Sasha, that we can mention when we get there. Yeah. So it's not super extensive, but it's just stuff to think about. There's a lot to think about. And and I want to add one other thing too here in, you know, it's not just contemporary and needing to know your modern settings. It's not just fantasy and needing to know your magic, historical novels, right? Oh yeah. know that time period. And in fact, there's a certain level where readers want accuracy, but it can actually go too far, but then you're not going to be able to, if you make a huge mistake, you're going to really piss people off. Um, so making sure you understand, okay, even in historical, right? Like if you're writing in Victorian England, you need to know what the carriages looked like and what the proper names were. And I don't know what those are, <laughs> but if you write that time period, you better, um, and what, you know, what were the the clothing styles of the time? So making sure that whatever genre you're writing in, you meet those reader expectations within the world building and setting, as well as just, you know, the general tropes of that genre. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What do you think are the most common mistakes that writers make planning books and, and, and planning series as well? So... Well- yeah, go ahead, Greta. You go. First. Should I grab this one first? You grab this I've one made first. so many. <laughs> I'm a pro at this one. This is one of those things like we've made the mistakes, so you don't have to. Um, yeah. I, so one thing I didn't think about was the ramifications of, so like my Seven Deadly Sins series, uh, each book has a different protagonist. So I thought, oh, I can just kind of write them as compared completely because they are sort of standalone, but they are loosely linked. They are somewhat connected and um, the characters in different books know each other. And I'm bringing out, you know, so who's the primary character in book one, her friend is the primary character in book two and that kind of thing. I didn't stop to look at the series as a whole before I began and to contemplate the fact that just like your book has an arc, like a character arc, your series has a series arc. And, you know, when I got to book three and four, I was seriously in the messy middle, but instead of just being in the messy middle of one novel, I'm now in the messy middle of an entire series. And I had to write seven books because that's what my contract was for. And you can't have three deadly sins or two deadly sins. You got to have seven of them. So um, it was really, and, and the earlier books are already published. So you can't go back and say, gee whiz, I wish I wouldn't have made her a Pilates instructor, because that's a really dull job. And now she's got to be the main character, or I wish I wouldn't have made her, you know, you have to think some of these things through. So I would say, you don't have to know everything. You don't have to know the, I confused myself. I thought I had to understand the plot of every book in the series. That is the least important thing. Most of the time, What's the most important thing are those characters, who they are. Can you carry them from book to book? Are their careers, are their lives, are their interactions, their relationships going to be interesting enough for you to pull those threads in future books and not like shoot yourself in the foot? So that is my advice is to think about those characters and where they could be in however many books you think you're planning to write. I think another mistake that kind of is tangential to that is that we often get lost in the details or forget the details, maybe is the better way to phrase it. 
Um, and the mistake that I made early on is I understood that there was a series arc, but I didn't realize how hard it was going to be to remember the details, like the mm. nitty gritty stuff that uh, I wrote in book one when I got to book four. And so I didn't have a story Bible. So if you're a new writer starting a new series, putting together a story Bible up front. So and what, is, what is a story Bible? A story Bible is basically a collection of all the details of your story. So you'll have, you know, pages or documents that have like character descriptions or um, personality types is one that I like to use for characters. Um, you can have setting descriptions. You can have um, the details of, you know, the, the world events, the timeline of, you know, the history of the world. Um, timelines of each story are a great choice to include all of that kind of detail work because if you don't keep track of that and have a nice organized way of referring to it when you need it you have to go back and search through every book and you forget the exact phrasing that you used so so trying to do control f doesn't always work right you have to remember an exact phrase or something and it's really really difficult so having a story bible starting that with the first book in the series um can really help you grow that series over time yeah the series bible is vital for me as well although i have to say vellum search functions pretty good and if you have like box sets or even if you just drag and drop the books into one vellum like for personal use you can if you if you do know the phrase or or you know you can search the whole series so that's quite useful but um I love what Greta said as well, because uh, I think that's the mistake that I made this time, because I am also writing an interconnected standalones. So it's not a series. Um, th this really isn't a series in the there is no series arc, except I want there to be a series arc. So I'm I kind of am trying to bring it to a conclusion in this third book, which is part of the problem, because actually, I think subconsciously I have fed this in and certainly with the second book. But now I'm. I'm trying to create this ending whilst also seeding a new spin-off series. And the, the the real problem is that I wrote the side characters as side characters in book one, and then you have to lift them and make them protagonists in, mm -hmm. in the later books. And so it's not that they're not, they were great side characters, but I didn't think about what that would then look like as a protagonist. And actually, I think I could have done I think I could have been more intentional about it. So that is one of the things that I'm going to do for this next series um, over the summer. I'm really going to think about, okay, well, this is what they look like as a side character, but how do they sound? Therefore, how would they sound as a side character, right? It's like when you get into that voice and you have the dialogue and actually there is a dialogue shift and a voice shift from, from say book one to book three, where you've got a different protagonist. So yeah, I think that's, that's such good advice. You know, even if you're writing a series that has um, the same protagonist, my second series, every book is same protagonist, but you need B plots, you know, you, you, and so having that really interesting cast of side characters, because I pull them for B plots. So like um, in the first book uh, and the set when well, part of the second book, the head embalmer at the mortuary she ends up working for, she's fine, but she's not that interesting. So um, I had her uh, fall in love, get married and move 
in the second book and brought in a much funnier, much more bizarro, crazy guy for the head and Bulmer. And because I hadn't, I just hadn't quite thought of it, but at least I thought of it in book two, you know, so you can do that. You can always get rid of somebody you can kill them. You can get them married, move away, whatever, and bring in a new character. But it is nice to sort of, as much as you can, think about that that whole cast of characters. Because if you're writing a series, even if they only play a small part in book one, you know, they're an asset. They're a tool. Like, I also needed... I had a, a woman who was a real gossip. She's just in one scene, one chapter, a little bit, you know, I needed a gossip. So she's in a, go- she's a gossip in the hair salon. Like four books later, I realized I needed a gossip and I'm starting to create one. And then I went, wait a minute, I have a gossip in book one. So it's like, if you think about them, that they're all the paints in your palette, all those cast of characters there, you know, that you can, you can use those for color as the series goes, goes on. So making them very interesting. And on series, like, is there anything else that we should consider or plan for um, when we are starting to write book one? Like you've mentioned kind of characters, is there anything else that we should decide upon or prep for, for, for the rest of the series? I think the big one for me is is magic, right? For fantasy, um, making sure that whatever you choose, however you set it up, that it can be carried through the series um, and stay consistent. I, I see, you know, often so, you know writers will like start something and they're like, oh well, I need this character to do this thing, so I'm just going to do it because magic. Um, and sometimes that works, but a lot of times it doesn't. It's it sort of sets the the reader off where you're going, yeah, but but well, that doesn't, you know, for whatever reason. Like it could be, you know, you've got elemental magic, and then all of a sudden somebody does something that's has nothing to do with the elements. It's just willpower alone, right? Like, okay, I guess, but like you have to have some kind of foundational logic. Um, and within, you know other genres, you know, more real world genres. I think it's that same consistency, making sure that whatever you choose um, and however you set it up, that you can maintain that over the long haul um, and keep that that consistency so that you don't throw the reader out of the story with a bad decision. That's very good. Also theme, if you're looking at other things like, um, sometimes theme can pull you through. So uh, if you like, for instance, the overriding theme of my mortician series is belonging, but there's a lot of different kinds of belonging. So that, that gives my brain a jumping off place, like belonging in family, belonging in a, a, a tribe, a friendship group, belonging in a, in a, uh, romantic relationship belonging in uh, you know a work relationship so those are those could be all different themes within the the series that uh that i can kind of play with and jump off um so if you 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 like sometimes well like the seven deadly sins was obviously had its own theme built in so i could keep going with that. But if you have a series that's more character driven, like Megan Signari or, or, um, her Lilith one, or my mortician one, if you just kind of think of the overarching theme, uh, and then play with that, 
pull those threads in there. That that can be helpful too. Amazing. Any, have I missed anything? Like, are there any other kind of tips or tricks that you want to throw out um, about sort of world, world building or series planning or kind of planning your novel? Otherwise, I'm going to ask you the ultimate podcast question. <laughs> oh, yes, we're going there. I, I think we're ready for it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. All right. So for me, um, it was going wide at a time when everyone was saying the only way to make money as an author was to be in Kindle Unlimited. But that never set well with me. Um, my my uh, undergraduate degree is actually in finance. And one of the, the prime lessons you learn is diversification. You don't put all your eggs in one basket. You don't invest in a single stock. You spread out the wealth and so that you're not um, beholden to any single entity. Um, so I, I was in Kindle Unlimited for a while and I was doing okay, but the, the pages were drying up a little bit for me. Again, I'm a slow writer, so it doesn't sit well in Kindle Unlimited to be a slow writer. So I said, screw it. I'm going wide. <laughs> I'm finally doing it. And um, it's taken a bit to to build that business up, but I feel so much better being wide. I feel more secure in my own headspace and in my own philosophy on things. Um, and now after, you know, a couple years doing it, I actually do make more wide than I ever made in Kindle Unlimited pages read. So I still make plenty of money on Amazon. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, Amazon's great. They're a great platform, but they're one of many. And so that was, that was my rebellious thing was like, I just couldn't stay exclusive for an extended period of time. Amazing. Oh, I love that it paid off as well. Yeah. Well, I'm still in KU with my Martitian series, but I will eventually take her out into the world. Just neither she nor I are ready for that yet. Um, but for me, my I think my rebel moment was um, recognizing that I needed to like not completely give up on the dream of traditional, traditional publishing. I mean, I do have a, a series in that's traditionally published, but when I started the mortician series, like when I wrote it, I was pitching it around to agents and stuff. And I actually told this story on the wish I'd known them podcast. I had this dream I was very just, I was very um, discouraged when I went to some big conferences and stuff. It just seems like traditional world is a lot of who, you know, and back slappy and family. And I don't know. Um, so I was feeling very discouraged and I had this dream and in the dream, I was on a train with George Burns and the actor, the old actor, and he was smoking a cigar and talking to me. And at one point he, he was my agent in the dream. He was my agent. And he, at one point he looks at me and he goes, so do you, uh, do you want to feel important or do you want to make money? And I woke up and I went, I want to make money. <laughs> I'm just like, And I think it was that, that wait a minute, I don't have to be like some big deal, traditionally published author to be important. And what the heck is important? 
Like I'm important to my family. I'm important to my friends. You know, I mean, like, what is this? It's it's an illusion, this whole importance thing. So I think that was kind of my rebel moment. And then I started cryptic press and I, I just uh, did the mortician series myself and I am making much more money when I market, which I don't always, but when I do market those books, I make much more money with them than I do with my traditionally published books. So, you know, and I am learning Facebook ads right now, which is a whole nother story, (laughs) but, but, you know, so, so yeah, I would say that was my rebel my rebel moment. And it's funny. I just want to say one thing. I never felt like Megan or my other friends who are indie authors weren't legitimate authors or real authors. I always thought they were. I just, for some reason thought I wouldn't be if I became one, like I somehow needed that stamp of approval from well, but, the big but publishing world, you know, you were raised by an editor in New York city. I mean, it's your, yeah. it's bucking your, your, training essentially yeah my roots <laughs> so you know? your roots and like in in some ways standing up to you know your family so i i think that's a big a big one so anyway. i will say my dad is very very on board and supportive with me now he just thinks it's awesome he and he wants me to write a book a nonfiction book about everything that's wrong with the publishing industry. I am like, I am not writing that book, dad. (laughs) You write that book. I'm not writing that book. Anyway. Yeah. I love my rebel moment. No, I love it. I love, I love both of them. Would you like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you, your books, your services, like anything else that you would like to add? You go first, Megan. All right. So uh, we are going to create a special page just for the Rebel Author listeners, um, which uh, we will put at authorwheel.com slash rebel. And uh, while you're there, you can grab the couple of um, things that we mentioned today, the plot map. Oh, wait, no, we didn't actually end up talking about the plot map. Well, we have a we, plot map tool. We have a plot map use. that you will love. So just yeah. go there and look at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the world building checklist. Um, we also have a seven days to your author brand mini course that you can sign up. That's free um, via email. So there's that. And then um, our podcast is the author wheel podcast and it's available on all the major platforms as far as I know. And if you can't seem to find it, please email us info at authorreal.com. And then my books, my fiction stuff, I am at meganhaskell.com and I sell everything direct as well as wide. Right. And I am at gretaboris.com. It's Greta with one T. And I did want to mention that if you love Sasha, because we do, you just have to check it out because she's on our podcast too. And I think we had an uproarious time. We all had more energy that day too. I think it was, you know, it was, but today we got into a lot of amazingly fun, detail stuff. So both, I think both uh, episodes are a lot of fun. So come check us out and and listen to your favorite uh, host. Sasha on our podcast. Amazing. Well, thank you both so much for your time today. And of course, a gigantic thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. 
I'm Sasha Black. You were listening to Megan Haskell and Greta Boris, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm joined by Michaela Parks from Amazon, and we'll be talking all about how to sell more on Amazon and the Kindle Storyteller Award. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review. Oh, 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 oh